This is Tara Wilhelmy, your Tuesday morning host of the 8 O'Clock Buzz. We love bringing you this eclectic blend of community, culture, and so much more. In return, we ask for some support through donations to the station. It's easy. Go to wartfm.org slash donate. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening in. You're listening to WRT 89.9 Madison. Listener-sponsored community radio. The People's Station. No justice! No peace! No justice! No peace! No justice! No justice! No peace! No, I say you've been misled. You've been had. You've been took. Man, listen, this is 2023, and we swinging chairs. I am not my ancestors, B. Good morning, Madison. Silver bells, silver bells. It's Christmas time in the city. Well, ear hustlers, mount up. Yes, it's Tuesday, December 19th, 2023, and this is your host for today, Attorney Stan... Well, let's just say Stan Woodard. Remember me? (laughs) Well, we're back today for the Tuesday Buzz, and let me tell you, it's uh, nice to be here. Uh, John Miner, as always, is taking care of the old man, so we should have a great show this morning, as we always try to do. Uh, in light of the holiday spirit, we started out, as you could see, with a little bit of holiday spirit uh, by my guys, the Temptations. Now, how did you know that? <laughs> but we've got a good show I'm going to tell you about, um, and uh, we'll be playing some music uh, throughout today, uh, this show that is, and um, we'll see what we got. I do have some giveaways for you, second half of the show. The first half of the show, though, we'll be talking uh, to the acting executive director of the Black Public Defender Association, and she's out of D.C. I'll tell you more about her uh, when she comes on the air. She'll be our first guest, and then uh, our second guest in the second half of the show will be an author, Judith Tick is her name. The name of the book is... The jazz singer transmen that transformed American song. That's you know who that is? That is my lady Ella Fitzgerald. Ella Fitzgerald. We'll talk about her. There's an autobiography about her. We'll talk to the author who put this together. And uh, we've got two books to give away in regards to her book. And uh, so you stay with me. We'll get a little Christmas uh, gift here. Somebody's going to get one by calling in. Okay. All right. So we're going to get started. Going to play a little music for you. And then when we come back, I'll be talking to Alina Bloodworth, who is the acting executive director of the Black Public Defender Association. Stay with us. It's your Tuesday, 8 o'clock buzz. You're listening to the Tuesday 8 o'clock buzz on W-O-R-T, 
89.9 FM here in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm your host, Stan Woodard, John Miner, the engineer, as we bring to you this today's segment of the 8 o'clock buzz. And I'm happy to be here. As you know, I used to do this. I did this for about 16 years, John. Uh, And now I get a chance to come in from time to time. Uh, And I'm happy to be here today during this holiday season, giving the the normal hosts of the Tuesday buzz a break. So I'll be here to for this Tuesday, and I'll be here next Tuesday. Uh, and we'll do Kwanzaa next Tuesday, just so you know. Um, but today we're going to uh, talk a little bit about uh, some serious stuff that goes on in our society, especially when we talk about the so-called uh, criminal justice system. And I have with me uh, to talk about that is Mrs. Elena Bloodworth. Did I say your first name right, sister girl? Yeah, you did. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Let me let me go a little bit more. Let me just let my my uh, my uh, listeners. I call them ear hustlers. Let my ear hustlers understand that she is the acting executive director of the Black Public Defender Association. And uh, I'd like to say that, you know, it's, it's a fierce, she's a fierce advocate for the mission to support black defenders and improve the quality of defense for low-income persons. She served uh, in the past as director of students, managing training and hiring of student law clerks and investigators, and the East Baton Rouge Office of the Public Defender, the first director of equity, diversity, and inclusion, where she led her office in the partnering with grassroots community organizations to force the local district attorney to dismiss over 700 cases due to police corruption. I think we may need her here in Madison. Hold on. Uh-huh. And lastly, let me say that uh, the Louisiana Bar Association most recently awarded her the YWCA Woman of the Year Award. Okay. Miss Bloodworth, or I just may call you Elena if that's all right with you. Yes, that is true. Thank you so much. And thank you for what you do. You may have been informed that uh, I am a public defender also uh, here in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, although I've been doing it probably a little bit longer than you at my tender age of uh, 74 but in any event uh uh it's uh i understand the importance of what you do but we got a, a lot of people don't necessarily know exactly what we do other than they see someone in the courtroom and they, well they've got a public defender and then sometimes public defenders get a bad rap well they're too busy they don't know what they're doing blah 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 Talk to me about, as you see, and clearly you see it, but explain uh, what you see about public defenders and their importance to the so-called system of justice in this country. Yeah, um, so one, of course, thank you for your service as being a public defender yourself. And the fact that you have made it this long still in public defense, I literally congratulate you. (laughs) Thank Thank you you so much (laughs) for your service to your community. Um, But, yeah, no, public, I will start here. 
where um, just the definition of public defenders, we at the Black Public Defender Association, which I affectionately know as BPDA, uh, believe that public defenders are actually just not attorneys. We believe they're attorneys, they're social workers, they're client advocates. Um, we believe that we should represent people holistically. And I remember a lot of times when I would have cases, uh, my client who was picked up for solicitation on the interstate highway needed more of a social worker than an attorney. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I do want to make sure I, I, we define public defenders as we define it here um, at BPDA, but public defenders are necessary, they're vital, they're critical, right? Um, we are literally the only person that's standing in between um, the state, right, raining down all of their resources, right, um, to put our clients usually in jail. Um, you know, yep. a lot of the work that we do, we hope, you know, that we ensure that that person doesn't come back to the system and we're really helping that person holistically. You know, it's interesting. Uh you know, uh, public defenders, uh, I've had, you know, from time to time over the years, uh, I would be talking to my client and uh, they would ask me, uh, Stan, are you a real lawyer? Uh, you're just a public defender, but are, are you a real lawyer? <laughs> and <laughs> and obviously I'd have to break it down for them to let them know, yes, I am a lawyer. And what I do is being a public defender, but I am a lawyer. Uh, and the point of the matter is I couldn't, if I wasn't one, I wouldn't be representing you. But the thing here is this whole idea of, 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 of attempting to get good uh, lawyers who want to not just get a job, but to also want to make an impact on what happens to people who can't afford lawyers who get representation, and we try to do it at the same level, obviously, of those who are hiring attorneys, if you will. Now, obviously, you know, there's a difference there from time to time. But the point is, uh, us trying to do the best that we can do and be as good as we can be. Uh, it's not just a job to bring somebody in and find them guilty. You know, okay, well, you got a guilty plea. I got you, uh, you know, 10 days in jail. See you later. Um, th- there is a sense that we care about who we represent. Is that your feeling? So, yeah, I can tell you here at BPDA, um, we deeply, right, um, and I know public defense across the country, deeply care about our clients. I mean, we don't get into this work. There are many other places that we could be, right, higher-paying jobs, right, and I think we could write a whole book on why that's the reason that is. Um, but, you know, we, I can tell you, especially I talk to black defenders across this country. Mm-hmm. I can tell you my, myself being a black defender that I get into this work because I want to push back and black defenders across this country want to push back on the systems of oppressions, right, that uh, have oppressed, right, our people for a really long time, yeah. including a lot of. A lot of people who get into this work either have been through the system themselves, they have family and friends, right, that have been through the system, and they want to be that voice of change. They want to be able to fight the system, right, Mm -hmm. on behalf, right, of uh, their family members who they may have felt, you know, they wish they would have had someone fighting for them. You know, when when we talk about what we do here as we're doing, and uh, and you look at at look at the holistic uh, uh, mm-hmm. situation here, and we on one hand we're able to do effective representation. Uh, 
in many cases get you either out because of uh, violations that were committed or win cases and get you out uh, or settle cases and get you back. But it doesn't work if there's not a concomitant uh, group of, of, of opportunities to get individuals either back in school or training for jobs, uh, uh, things of that nature, being able then to become productive and they just can't walk out of the courtroom walk out of the courthouse, all right, you got it, see you later. Now, obviously, that's our job, but there needs to be uh, a greater web of support, if you will, that will help individuals then go to the next level and begin to, to become productive. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so 100%. I could tell you, um, I guess, larger picture, right, America, right, like the way it was founded, uh, the the way that uh, America in general has decided to be able to invest, and I'll say specifically, you know, across this country, you see this investment in police, you see this investment in uh, the prosecutor's office, you see an investment, right, these bloated budgets, but, you know, the truth of the matter is, are you, I always say that a city's or a state's um, um, budget is their moral compass. And you see across the country how an investment has been made in police budgets, but not really an investment in community resources, right? Not an investment in public defenders. So it's, it's you know, you have to ask your question, are you investing to save your people? Or are you investing to ensure that prison systems keep popping up across the country, right? Are you investing in essentially putting your people in jail? And across the country, the answer is yes. That is the way that states and cities, right, have invested um, their resources. You know, there's no question about it. Lock them up and uh, uh, get them, you know, quite quite frankly, um, especially being African-American, being an old revolutionary. (laughs) Uh, You know, the the point of the matter is, is what you're doing is, is uh, you want to get us locked up. You want to get us out of the neighborhood. You want to you want to keep us uh, away from doing being a productive person of society. Uh, You're looking forward to that. And a lot of the reasons that folks, you know, end up, violating the law. Now, I'm not making excuses. There are things that happen that are wrong, and you need to be justified for it. Uh, but on the other hand, there are there are situations, whether it's in school or whether it's out on the street, that these things become, uh, I want. I got to do something. Uh, and well, but you don't have to break the law, but I don't have any money. I'm not going, I can't get, I can't get a job. They won't hire me, blah, blah, blah. And you have all these different reasons. And I'm not saying that that they should break the law. That's not the point. The point is, do we have some umbrellas of safety, some umbrellas of employment, some uh, umbrellas of training that will give folks an opportunity uh, to, to go on with their lives and not think that they're going to be in this little circle here of getting out, going back to jail, getting out, going back to jail, uh, and with programs. And there are good programs going on now, don't get me wrong. Across this country, you know, big cities and small, there are programs that are trying to help those who who need help, who have been involved in the criminal justice system. But on the other hand, is it enough? No. <laughs> At least that's how I feel about it. <laughs> but but talk to me about that. Um, uh, what do you think about that in terms of us 
the system provide not the system, but this country, people providing for those who need the help. Yeah, I mean, I I feel what I, I mean. I, I feel a couple of things. I think I could again, you know, go on and on. But I, for us here at BPDA, it's one of the reasons why we have heavily invested into community engagement. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, you know, as you know, Black Defenders, you know, as we do this work, one of the reasons why we got into this work is because we want to interact with the community. We want to know what they need. How can we push back, right, on these systems that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's not just only in the courtroom? And that's the reason why we actually have Within the last two years, we've been able to um, really not only fund, but really be able to put some energy um, with through our fellowship program. Um, we actually have fellows that are actually leading community engagement projects across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, up to this year, we've had 12, right, um, community engagement projects across the country. Because the reason why is it's really important to not only understand what the community needs, but once you can interact, once you can be able to understand, you can be able to figure out ways to be able to partner and also be able to uplift and empower the community to go to the legislator, go to city council, right? Go to these places where their voices need to be heard, right? A lot of times the voices who are heard or who are the loudest, usually aren't the people that are impacted. Um, So, you know, you're 100% right, right? There needs to be a true investment in other resources because, you know, especially, you know, it's, it, it goes without saying, I know you know, I'm sure know the statistics as well, that it, people of color are disproportionately affected by mass incarceration. Yeah. You, you know, the, the, the one last thing is, we, I, I wish I had a lot more time to talk I to know. you. I Man, know. <laughs> let me tell you. But I, I, I'm going to bring this up. I'm definitely going to bring this up. And it goes like this. Public defenders and what they're paid far as under it under it, it does not reflect what they should be paid as far as I'm concerned and what they do we we here in Wisconsin they finally did an increase uh, for public defenders that hadn't had an increase you know ever since Jesus was a baby that's how long that's been so so the point of the matter is you know we can get a greater quality of individuals, and that's not to put down those that are working, so don't get me wrong. But the point is, I mean, if, you, if you're married, you, you've got new children, uh, obviously uh, you've got other th- matters to you. I mean, you got to live outside of the courtroom. you got jobs to do. you got families to deal with, things like that. And a lot of times the, uh, you know, the state that, that uh, comes up with the funding you know, put us down at the bottom of the list. You know, the prosecutors, oh, well, you know, they've got to be paid. I mean, yes, they're prosecuting. They're saving our city. But on the other hand, uh, they looked at us, and uh, and a lot of times are not. we are not getting the fees that we deserve. And I'm not talking about thousands and hundreds and thousands of dollars here, but I am talking about being paid a fair a fair price for the work that we do in and outside of the courtroom as part of our job. What do you think about that? I 1000% right. Agree with you. Um, you know, let's be, let me make very clear. Prosecutors do not save lives. Public defenders save lives. Come on, right. Come on. You know, it's our clients, right. We're filing not only motions to the press when the police are actually violating our clients rights. Right. We get our clients in actually 
rehab and different resources, right, to ensure they don't come back to the system. We get not guilties, right, when the, when the system decided to rain down their resources because they didn't want to admit that they got it wrong, right? We overturn wrongful convictions. The list can go on. It is very clear that public defenders save lives, but it goes back to the moral compass of a city or a state, right? Are you going to invest in actually ensuring that your people are going to jail, or are you going to invest in ensuring that public defenders and there's community resources in ensuring that your that your that your people are healthy? Because I can also tell you that where there are extremely healthy public defender offices, where you can see an investment in the public defender's office, you usually see a healthier city. So 100% that public defenders because they save lives, they should be paid accordingly, right? I have people say doctors save lives, public defenders do as well. And doctors are paid a lot more than public defenders. People are usually shocked when I tell them that as a public defender, I started off making $42,000. Come on. Yes, ma'am. Well, you know, Ms. Bloodworth, we're, we're going to work on that. We all are going to work on that as we see things change. And with people such as yourself, who we really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule uh, to be able to share some time with us here in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and first of all, I want to wish you very, you and your family, uh, a very happy holiday. I believe you have a one-year-old daughter. Is that correct? I do, I do. <laughs> well, the, the, there's another gentleman that I know uh, that I just want, that wants to say something to you. <laughs> well, uh, we just want to say, doggone it, the little one, a one-year-old, we're going to be looking for her this Christmas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you just talked to so Santa, by the way. But anyway. <laughs> I love it. And thank you so much for having me. This was I hope that you invite me back. This was a wonderful conversation. Thank you very much. And we'll make sure we put you down. We're gonna do that. All right. But you have a blessed holiday. All right. You me and too. your family. All righty. Yes. Right. Bye bye. We'll be back at you. I love that. I love that. This is your host, Stan Woodard of the Tuesday 8 o'clock buzz. Remember me? Yes, I'm here today, and I will be here next Tuesday also for our Kwanzaa show, giving the uh, the folks here who get behind this mic on a regular basis, giving them a break, and uh, well, well-deserved. So uh, I'm sure they're enjoying their opportunity to during the holiday now, so that's good. We're going to get going with the second half of the show. Let me uh, school you a little bit here because we're going to be talking to an author named Judith Tick who has uh, written several books, but the one that we're going to be talking about is Becoming Ella Fitzgerald. And you'll learn, you learn, who's Ella Fitzgerald? Well, we're going to let you know the importance of her to music in this country uh, from back in the day. And I'll tell you more about it when she, uh, when our author is on the air. But uh, we're going to play some music. You may, you may have heard from your dad or your grandfather about scatting, you know. Now, we've got, you know, this whole new form of, of music that has emerged over the years. I think it's a 50th anniversary of some of this music that they do now. 
<laughs> but it's all good. But it started back in the day when um, there was uh, this thing called scatting. So we're going to play a little scat for you by none other than Ella Fitzgerald. And then after a little bit of that, then we're going to get into one of her songs that really made her, that put her on the map, if you will. And we're going to play uh, that song. And uh, then we'll get into talking to uh, the author. And her name is Judith Tick, as I said. And we're going to be giving away two books. Two of these books that she has come out with. And they are, she's done just a beautiful job in studying and writing about Ella. And uh, it's got about almost 500 pages. So we've got two hardback books to give away at the appropriate time. So stay tuned. When I come back, I'll be talking to author Judas Tick about the one and only Ella Fitzgerald. <laughs> A brown and yellow basket I send a letter to my mommy On the way I dropped it I dropped it, I dropped it Yes, on the way I dropped it A little girl, he picked it up And put it in her pocket Ah, you heard her Yes, you did You know that is Ella Fitzgerald Known for her great music as well as her scatting as you we started out with and we're going to talk about her and cuz she is she set the pattern as far as I'm concerned and but we'll talk to the author about that cuz I have with me Judith Tick. She's a professor emerita of music history at Northeastern University, and she's published award-winning books and articles about American music and women's history in music, and we're glad to have her here through the mic in Madison, Wisconsin. Hello, are you with me, Judith? Good morning. <laughs> I am with you all the way. Whoa. Happy to talk about uh, Ella Fitzgerald, to, to you who so obviously love her work and her voice and her artistry. There's no question. You know, and I grew up, my mom and dad, and, uh, uh, you know, I could see them dancing now to some of her music back when I was a little shorty. And uh, so it, it, it's been in my bones for a long, long time, just so you know. Um, but you know she's, uh, you know she she was really something special in regards to to music and its growth. Uh, talk a little about in general about that for a moment. Well, Errol, I called the book "Becoming Ella Fitzgerald" because every kind of song that she touched, she expanded upon, and opened the gates for other singers to express their imagination especially women. When she started out with Chick Webb, she was a swing song singer who was supposed to sing a minute and a half on a chorus and 
leave the band to get the honors. Well, in a short time, she reversed that. She became the star, and the band became her accompanist. And that set a pattern for other women at the time. Then she became a ballad singer with Decca. And again, she was able to collaborate with the great pop stars, black pop stars of the day, like Louis Jordan and Louis Armstrong, not only hold her own, but show how collaboration and competition could work together. But the most important thing I think she did, because you played this great airmail special, I think, before I got on the air, was she moved into the most progressive parts of jazz to use her, it's always said she used her voice like an instrument, Mm -hmm. but you could say instruments use their instruments like voices. She showed how her voice could scat how it could take on bebop, the most progressive idiom of the day. Then after that, she took on the songbooks, and she became a classic pop singer. So how many, there are, and there are more transformations I could go on with, and in fact did, <laughs> opening the gates for others, so I'll stop right there. You know, you, you, have, a, uh, you have something uh, in your book uh, that talks about her, and she says, uh, and this is what Ellis says. She says, you know, uh, I heard where, she, this is what she said. I heard where music critics say, I'm not just a jazz singer anymore, but we all try to grow and improve. What is jazz anyhow? I don't know. To me, jazz is music. I have, and anyway, I have changed, and I sang what the public likes. Sometimes you sing what you like, and sometimes you sing uh, what you don't like. But <laughs> a very, a very honest person. I mean, you know, she 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 spelled it like it is when um, you talked about her music and her her way of showing music to the public. Talk a little bit about that. Well, you picked a great quote, and I want to tell your readers that. One of the things I did in my book was to look for interviews that Ella gave where she talked about her own work from her point of view. And she's so honest that look at this. She's saying, don't categorize me. Mm -hmm. If the critics are going to call me not a jazz singer, that's okay. I'm going to do what I want. And this notion of pleasing everybody, it isn't just pandering. It's understanding that she's supposed to communicate with her audience. And she wants them to feel she recognizes them. She needed her. You know, her son said to me one time, her son, Ray Brown Jr., my mother was all about the audience. And that wasn't just to give them what they wanted in a shallow way. It was to communicate. You know, and she she had a tough time. I mean, she's African-American, and uh, she wasn't called that back then, but uh, we now have... (laughs) <laughs> We're African American now. We have many. We have many words. <laughs> yes, ma'am. But it was tough being a woman, a black woman at, at at that too at that time, and trying to make her way. And then the way that she interpreted her 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 songs, her music, it had to be tough on her. She had to be tough and resilient. I'll, I'll tell you what she said right early that I loved. She said, "I kept on." And she used that phrase when she talked about how the Apollo, she won a contest and she didn't get a a date right away and she couldn't get hired right away. Mm -hmm. And she really scuffled. And she said, I kept on. I think that's a great phrase. And I I found that people say that in the jazz world, keep on, keep on keeping on. 
And that is the hallmark of someone who can get through race prejudice, you know, Jim Crow and and gender prejudice, which Jane Crow is a word that I, I use sometimes <laughs> in the book. <laughs> yes, you do. You know. Uh, <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, you, yes, you do. <laughs> yes. The jazz, uh, this this improvision, if I say that correctly, this improvision of her music uh, is really something. And, you know, I'm getting obviously to scatting and things like that. But talk about this, this whole scatting thing that some people, you know, we have rappers that can learn from how she interpreted her music. Uh, but talk a little bit about that for me. It's funny you should say that because rappers are known for sampling and for taking bits and pieces of other people's music and weaving it together in a special way. Well, guess what? I think you could describe Ella Fitzgerald scatting just like that. Mm-hmm. And you know how rappers want to have relation; they want to shout out other, other artists that they really admire or they respect. Ella did that too. I think it's a kind of cultural phenomenon in african-american culture mm-hmm. where you you are respect by emulating imitating and even making fun of it's all part of building a relationship in a community and she did that with scatting that's why she quotes so much and who else does that sonny rollins <laughs> he he, he reminds yep. of ella a lot as a matter of fact <laughs> Well, you know, she was, I mean, back in her time, and you have people like Sarah Vaughn and Dizzy Gillespie, and that's just to name a few. Uh, it, was, it was a heck of a time then in terms of music and African-Americans coming out, if you will, uh, from under the uh, the so-called... Uh, I'm trying to be polite here, uh, but but so come, you know, coming out of the the slavery and uh, mm-hmm. being able to begin to start to experiencing who they are and what they want to produce uh, in many in many different ways, but in music in particular, is what we're talking about today. Um, talk a little bit about that uh, how, in terms of th- this. Really was an explosion, if you will, of music. Yeah, uh, yes. of, of various individuals, men and women. Talk a little bit about that. Oh, that's such a great point. First of all, we all talk about the Harlem Renaissance in the 1920s because mm-hmm. of all the literature, but you can go right to the 1930s, even during the Depression in Harlem, and then especially in the 40s. It's this explosion of music and theater in black theaters in mm-hmm. Harlem, but then in the record companies when I think one of the key points is when race records gets abandoned as a term and people use the more fluid term rhythm and blues in the music industry. And that's a big step Mm -hmm. because it allows for more freedom. You don't have to just be a black artist. You can take, you can be a singer, even if you're reaching black public and trying to cross over and reach into a larger world. So I think the parallels between civil rights activity in the 1940s and 50s have their direct expression in music. And with Ella, she had a manager and an artist who wanted to use jazz for social justice, and that meant get rid of segregation in categories and in, well, he meant it in terms of venues, and that was very, his name is Norman Granz. But for Ella Fitzgerald, you know where you can... Aunt Sarah Vaughn, 
And now we can hear this in the live recordings from tapes, from TV shows and live dates that are getting posted on YouTube. And all of a sudden, we hear this difference between the recording and what they do when they're totally free in front of an audience. <laughs> it's quite astounding. And airmail special. <laughs> I mean, people could hear the Decca record. It was so genteel. And then wham, comes a live date when she just rips off into, the, into outer space. So African-Americans are doing their civil rights in music and, in free of, and looking for free expression. Well, I tell you, this is a great book. Uh, Becoming Ella... Fitzgerald, the jazz singer who transformed American song. No question about it. Oh, thank you. Judas Tick, you just did such a nice job, a very nice job. And I've got. Two, oh, thank you. I've got two copies that I'm going to be giving away shortly, just so you know. I know I'm going to have that phone ring off shortly, and uh, and hopefully that is spread because this, this is really something to to read through and to really appreciate. Uh, whether you're a woman, whether you're white, whether you're black, uh, or, or whether you're American, a Mexican, it doesn't make it doesn't make a difference it, because she went across all lines. And once you begin to read this book, you begin to love her and to see the hardships and the tragedies. And yet she strove on and strove on and strove on. I think she, I think she passed away about what seventy seven. Nineteen seventy nine. Nineteen seventy nine. Okay. Yeah. So, doggone it! I just want to thank you for taking some time out, and uh, we want to wish you a very, very happy holiday. And uh, and someone else, I got someone else who wants to talk to you. Hold on, one minute. <laughs> we want you to have a very happy <laughs> holiday. Do you? We, we just love your books, and oh, we're going to be looking forward to you. Okay, merry happy holiday. So, all right. So, <laughs> that's another part of my life. Just so you know. <laughs> yes, you know, I, I've been. I've my wife and I are Mister and Missus Soul Santa. From the South Pole. Oh, God. And, and we have been doing, we have our own Santa suits, <laughs> and we've been doing that, I bet you, for 20 years around this oh, area. It's so wonderful. <laughs> oh, my especially with Especially with the little kids. And uh, oh, so I'll tell great. you a quick story. Uh, uh, one time uh, we were with this uh, group of kids uh, at a program, and we were talking to them. And this one little kid, he happened to be African American kid, he was walking around with a with a really sorry face. And uh, and I asked him, you know, in my Santa Claus vernacular, "Hey, what's the matter with you, young man?" And uh, he says, "You're not Santa." I said, "What do you mean?" He says, "Santa's white." And no, you're not Santa. I said, "Well, wait a minute." Where does Santa live? He says, Santa lives in the North Pole. That's where he lives at. And I says, well, we're from the South Pole. (laughs) And when I said that, he said, oh, wow. And he grabbed me and hugged me and followed me around the rest of the day. (laughs) Oh, that's adorable. Oh, some of the things that we do. Well, listen, my dear, once again, thank you ever so much. And, And I call my listeners ear hustlers so i'm going to say ear hustlers stay with me now because i'll be asking for calls in and uh, 
Which one did it be? I'll be telling you shortly. And we've got two copies of this book to give to you. So uh, happy holidays to everyone. And more importantly, or just as importantly, happy holidays to you. Okay? Thank you very much. All right, Miss Tick. We'll talk to you maybe again someday. Who knows, uh, huh? I hope so. Okay. All righty. Bye-bye. Back at you this morning. I'm bringing the temptations to you to close the show. Thank you all for being to listen to the show, and I'll be back next week with a kind of a more regular approach uh, regarding uh, Kwanzaa next week. So you guys have a merry holiday, and uh, on behalf of myself, John, even my wife Yolanda, we wish you all out there a very happy and safe holiday. But listen to the temptations. Close out the show. Bye bye. Merry Christmas to me, to all of you, one of you. I just want you to know, this is a struggle that we have here in this society. I can't let you get away without me telling you that. The struggle may be a moral one, it may be a physical one, it may be both moral and physical, but it must be a struggle. Power concedes nothing without demand. It never did, <clears throat> and it never will. And that's Frederick Douglass, 1857. Peace and happy holiday. Temptations. Power pum pum, power pum pum pum, power pum pum, power pum pum pum, power pum pum, power pum pum pum, power. You're listening to WRT 89.9 Madison, listener sponsored community radio. Power to the people.